With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Time once again for Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of intercollegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network alongside my great friend, co-host here of the show, Brent Beard, longtime college football analyst for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida, and also a longtime voter in the race for the most prestigious individual honor in college football. That award, of course, the Heisman Trophy. Brent, it's been a little bit. Uh, we're rested, recovered, mm-hmm. and ready to talk. Some moving pieces, I guess, as much as anything else as it relates to the Southeastern Conference. And we got some good basketball going on within the league, too. Yeah, we really do, no doubt, uh, as far as hoops. Uh, for example, Florida beating Tennessee in a huge upset in Gainesville, uh, setting up a really important Alabama-Florida matchup coming up in a few days. And, and uh, but we had a – we had, for what you and I used to do, we had about as um, uh, quiet a national signing day as we've ever had, but <laughs> – uh, in but but Trav, in, in this league uh, where where things used to be pretty much quiet this time of year, uh, the coaching carousel uh, nothing slow about that, is it? Some moves that have been made and some moves that we're still waiting out here on this first Friday in February. Let's start right there with Alabama because the Crimson Tide still with both coordinator posts open as we record this. Now there has been association with a guy like Tommy Reese of Notre Dame most recently with the offensive coordinator post to replace Bill O'Brien, who of course has moved on to the new England Patriots. And you still have the defensive coordinator situation there at Alabama with Pete Golding, making the move over to Ole Miss. Now, Austin Armstrong has come in from Southern Miss, uh, presumably as a positional hire, but he does have coordinator experience you know, some of these guys like Reese and Armstrong, it's it, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't come as a surprise at this point with the youth we're seeing uh, in the coaching ranks. But we're talking about guys 29, 30 years old. Yeah. And in the case of Tommy Reese, he's been the the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame for two or three years now. So this isn't even new to him. And he has you know, he's 30 years old. Yeah, uh, just just really amazing. And, and uh, obviously. Uh, recruiting is always part of this, even though a lot of coordinators don't recruit that much. Uh, but I'm sure that uh, new ideas, uh, being able to uh, uh, relate to a guy in his 30, particularly with the recruiting, I know is important. Uh, certainly, uh, Grubb, the uh, Washington coordinator, a lot was made about that. In a meeting, was that a was an offer made? Was an offer not made to Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator at Washington? But I do give Nick Saban credit. I mean, he's looking at some uh, some young, innovative guys, uh, and, and a lot of people are glad Bill O'Brien's gone, and I get that. 
look, Bill O'Brien's still a fundamentally good football coach, uh, but I just think he didn't get very creative with Alabama, uh, particularly with the speed they've got at receiver. And, and again, uh, not only they're dealing with uh, the offensive coordinator situation, but Pete Golden going to Ole Miss, which, fr- frankly, Travis, is a story within itself as far as what uh, the freedom that Golden would get and what Lane Kiffin wants to to improve that defense. But we've still got Jeremy Pruitt, Jim Leonard from Wisconsin, Glenn Schumann from Georgia. So, uh, as you mentioned, multiple moving parts around for that Alabama coordinator position. Yeah, I, I, I have my, my, my finger on the pulse of that Alabama fan base a little bit, as you might expect in my role yes. on a daily basis. And I felt it felt like for sure that with O'Brien and Golding, this was probably from the fan base perspective, a good getting off point for both. Yeah. Um, you know, I agree on O'Brien. I, I think he's a good football coach. I, I think he in 2021 got as much out of Bryce Young in that offense as you probably could, especially with the injuries that they had. Uh, The situation along the offensive line was not um, ideal relative to previous Alabama standards. I would think we could agree on that. I do agree with the sentiment, too, though, that schematically you felt like O'Brien and that staff could have done more to help this 2022 offense. It was overly reliant. It was almost as if, well, we're just going to roll with the same approach that we had in 2021 when we had Jamison Williams and John Mechie on the outside. Well, you didn't have those guys. Now, they probably thought that, you know, Jermaine Burton was going to be that kind of guy. Tyler Harrell coming in from Louisville, he would maybe be that Jamison Williams type. That obviously never happened. Uh, and so when it started to come down the pike that way, there just didn't seem to be much in the way of adaptation to what they had to work with. And so, look, the standard at Alabama is what it is. And when you're in one of those chief lieutenant positions, you are graded by championships. And whether you like Pete Golding or not as an Alabama fan, he's got one of those on his resume from he 2020. Does. Even Bill O'Brien as much as Alabama fans seemingly don't acknowledge Southeastern conference titles anymore, (laughs) he's got one of those from 2021. So interesting to see how Nick Saban moves here in the coming days with those coordinator spots. But you touched on this with Georgia too, with Todd Monken being a hot commodity where the NFL is concerned, similar to, to Bill O'Brien, I guess. And uh, you know where that might take the Georgia offense in, in the coming year. Well, and that's going to be fascinating. Obviously, Munkin has been in the NFL before, and, and that certainly is uh, attractive to him. Uh, and he has interviewed with Tampa. I've heard him being linked to some other schools, too. Uh, it, you know, people forget this, Travis. Um, now, this is just a local note. Not everybody's interested in this. I get it. But he was a wide receivers coach of the Jaguars from uh, mm-hmm. what 2007 to 2010. Uh, that, that was a lifetime ago now. Uh, but just to make that connection, uh, and again, I think it's important. Whoever, whoever, if he stays or does he go, you've got Raw Raw Thomas coming over from Mississippi State, albeit with the legal uh, situation to clear up. 
and Dom Lovett from Missouri. But, Trav, you and I talked about this years ago in radio uh, with, with the Munkin situation. There's a lot of thought that Kirby is going to keep Munkin, but at what price? Because what we're what we're seeing now is within the coordinators of coordinators being paid one point five two million and above, and I'm sure Trav, if he says at UGA, that will be with a hefty raise too. No, oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that, and um, it's an evolving. You got to think um, Georgia offense now with the departures and the transition at quarterback and, you know, sure. Brock Bowers comes back. That's a hell of a building piece, a building block to work with. But uh, Darnell Washington was a big part of that thing too, as sort of the quote unquote other tight end. Um, You've had some movement with the transfer portal, both coming and going at the wide receiver position for Georgia. That's going to impact that team. So some questions, and and if you think about uh, a situation where Todd Munkin moves on, that would that would pretty much complete it. And by the way, we'd be totally remiss if we didn't acknowledge the just tragic situation that Georgia's been dealing with yes. um, in the last month or so with Devin Willock and um, you know Chandler Lacroix. The the recruiting staff are dying in that car crash there in the Athens area. It's just um, it, it's it's been a I can only imagine how just incredibly bittersweet this stretch has been yes. uh, for a program coming off its second straight national championship. Well, and I think just to sum up real quick, in uh, uh, our thoughts and prayers are certainly with Georgia and the families of the, of the ones in that, in that horrible wreck. But one thing just to, uh, just to touch on A.D. Mitchell, uh, who caught touchdown passes in four playoff games, the wide receivers now at Texas. Lad McConkey is coming back. Cedric Van Prawn is coming back. Marcus Rosemead Jack Saints coming back. Now Dominic Blaylock is transferring, uh, but uh, it, it's safe. It's safe to say with with Kirby's recruiting, the cupboard will not be bare, will it, Traff? It will not. And I'll tell you something else that'll help Georgia in making this transition. How about that 2023 schedule? Oof. Boy, non-conference-wise, there is absolutely nothing. I guess Georgia Tech, you know, you can put in there. Um, But, wow, I look at that Georgia schedule right now in early February, and I really can't envision a way in which that team isn't undefeated going into November when you get Tennessee and Ole Miss, I think. Those are... Those are the two games I look at right now for for Georgia and think, ah, those could be tough. And I know Florida in year two has got to be better under Billy Napier. Right. Um, But just right now, when I look at Georgia's schedule, uh, one, maybe two game schedule in 2023. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah, easily. Now, now, I think an X factor there, Trav, could be uh, could Auburn be better uh, quickly under Hugh Freeze? And I know they've replenished that offensive line, but uh, let's be honest, uh, Auburn is still not in Georgia's category yet within Freeze's first year. And an intriguing game, too, uh, would be uh, uh, Georgia has Missouri and Ole Miss uh, in in Athens. So so as you mentioned— Tennessee on the road. That's where— 
it really starts, right? It, it for is. Dogs. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, and Tennessee in a row. And as you and I have talked about over the years, Trev, could that cumulative effect of the SEC meat grinder get them in, in November somewhere? Yeah, and we look at Georgia and Alabama, and we're talking about quarterback situations. Uh, with Carson Beck, I guess, going into the offseason as the odds-on favorite for the dogs to take over from Stetson Bennett. Meanwhile, in Tuscaloosa, Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, Alabama bringing in a couple of early enrollees, still trying to figure out as we record this exactly, probably most importantly, who's going to mentor these quarterbacks at Alabama because the offense isn't going to ever radically change. This will be Nick Saban's ninth offensive coordinator (laughs) since 2007, since taking over at Alabama. I mean, it's a hell of a list. And here's the thing, as I talked about earlier, for this ninth guy, the eight before him will have set that bar at either and national championships or SEC championships. And in some instances, you got guys who didn't win both. You had Brian Dable didn't win an SEC in 2017, but Alabama won the national championship. You know, you had guys like Mike Loxley ran the table through the SEC in the semifinals only to lose in a national championship game. So, but that's, that's the Alabama fans get so anxious about hires and I get it. You know, look, you're coming off a year in which you didn't make the college football playoff that ramps up some of that, but Nick Saban's won six national championships at Alabama. Brent, he's done it with five different offensive coordinators. So, you know, I think the hire will be okay one yeah. way or the other. Right? Yeah. I think the the bigger question you have for Alabama, I do anyway, leans more towards player development yes. in the last yes. few years. Identification and development. I think that's where I would have more of my focus and concern if I was an Alabama fan right now. And, and I think that's why uh, that you hear Alabama fans talk about well, if, if they could get Jeremy Pruitt in and Bo Davis in, defensive coordinator and, and defensive line coach, uh, how that would improve uh, some of the player development. But but you hit on it, and this is something that that when we covered FSU uh, very closely in Bounds the last few years, Bobby Bowden, they could recruit Trav, but they couldn't develop players. No, uh, and and I think a really important uh, addition of what you what you talked about is some of these coordinators when they're coming in, uh, they've got visions of running all their own stuff. But Travis, you know, there's an early conversation with Nick Saban about uh, that they're pretty well going to run what he wants them to run. There'll be variations, and he certainly allowed Lane Kiffin uh, some freedom toward the end, like like Kirby has allowed Jeff Munkin uh, the the the, uh, the 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 last few years uh, to be able to, uh, to run a little bit, but, uh, but there, there's, there's no doubt who's in charge of the offense and defense in Alabama. That's why a lot of times when Nick is going through this process with coordinators, you hear about guys visiting with Nick Saban, because that's exactly what it is. It's not a come in, sit down for an hour and we'll talk about the job. I'll extend an (laughs) offer. You'll take it or you'll turn it down. 
you come in and you essentially simulate what a day on that staff is going to be like. Right. And it's not just Nick Saban that's involved in that process. It's other staff members. So, And by the end of that day, if you're a guy like Ryan Grubb mm-hmm. and you're at the University of Washington, you're making $2 million a year, you're essentially running the offense that yeah. you and Kalen DeBoer have come up with over the years, and you can do that with pretty much autonomy, maybe – Maybe it's not such a bad idea to yeah. stay where you're at, whereas other guys, um, you know, they're okay with it, and they understand they're going to put their thumbprint on the offense, but it isn't going to be their handprint all over that offense. Yeah. Your we'll thumb, see. your yes. thumb, maybe the other four fingers, uh, those are going to be Nick's. Yeah. Hey, I got to ask you about this because your proximity to the Florida program, but. We haven't talked since this went down, but Jaden Rashada, that whole situation with NIL and, uh, you know, where's Billy Napier and all this? And I guess Rashada now has ended up at his father's alma mater at Arizona State. Just, uh, wow, you want to you want a situation symbolic of college football in 2023? I guess that one was it. Uh, And and obviously various. Uh, stories about how much money that he was offered from the Gator Collective, uh, one being $13 million. A lot of other folks deny that, but but it did not work out. Uh, and and the, uh, a lot of the big questions now, and we'll see some of this on the Orange and Blue game on, again, a Thursday, April the 13th, is that quarterback room now, with ground merch from Wisconsin, what people are describing as more of a uh, what travel game manager, shall we say? Uh, and then obviously you've got uh, a lot of younger guys who they're trying to move through. Uh, I, I think they'll be okay on the offensive line. Uh, their offensive lines average six six three thirty. Uh, they'll be able to run the ball uh, with uh, with ETN and those running backs, but. Again, in this day and age, and we both know it, even though Ricky Pearsall coming back, I don't care who it is, Travis, particularly at Florida, it, it, the perception from fans is if you're not elite at that position, you're going to have a difficult year. Well, look at the guys they've had. I mean, going back to Steve Spurrier winning the Heisman Trophy and you know moving your way through uh, Danny Werfel yeah. and uh, even guys like Rex Grossman, who you don't hear talked about a lot, played at a high level for the Gators during the Spurrier era as the head coach. And obviously Tim Tebow and um, Shane Matthews on that. Shane Matthews. The pipeline is it's been pretty consistent. You're right. Florida fans, more so than any fan base that I know of, they equate success to the quarterback position. And as an extension of that, the passing game. I mean, yeah. that is the genesis. That's the basis of that football program. And that's saying a lot because probably as much as anything, defensively, Florida has been elite when Florida has really been at the top of the, the college football uh, heap. So uh, we'll see how that goes for Florida at the quarterback position. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because we've seen movement not only where Florida is concerned and going to the portal for perhaps another option at that position. But within the league, there's been some interesting movement from team to team, right? Walker Howard, I guess, going from LSU to Ole Miss. Mike Wright going from Vanderbilt 
to Mississippi State. Uh, a lot of that stuff still happening within the league. Well, and, and, and Trap, to me, one of the more intriguing ones is uh, Devin Leary going from North Carolina State to yep. Kentucky. And on top of that, Liam Cohen coming back, who they had some real success with as offensive coordinator, Cohen just lasting a short time in the NFL. That's a pretty good combination. Uh, and, and as you now talk the entire season, Trav, if they can get that offensive line fixed, that that gave Will Levis all kinds of trouble last year. That that's going to be a a very interesting Kentucky team coming up this year if that offense gets back up to par. Yeah, they've had some significant losses the last couple of years. First, Cohen left, I guess, to go back to the Rams. Now he is back with the Wildcats. Uh, Eric Wolford left as the offensive line coach to go to Alabama before the 2022 season. So, yeah, they've got some things to figure out, especially at that running back position, as we've talked about Chris Rodriguez extensively here the last couple of years. And I understand he has raised a few eyebrows with some of his work down at the Senior Bowl this week. So probably a guy you're going to see in the National Football League during the 2020 season as far as other coaching staff news you mentioned liam cohen anything else around the league that's caught your eye on that front maybe in the last couple weeks Uh, and and this is something that you and i've talked about for a while zach arnett uh taking over after the tragic death of mike leach uh has hired kevin barbay as the offensive coordinator now, while a lot of our listeners may not be very familiar with him, Trav, here, here's my question for you on this. You and I both know this is an air raid football team. It has been recruited for the air raid. And what Zach Hernandez said is that he wants more balance uh, as far as running the, using the running backs to be running backs. You mentioned Mike Wright, uh, that, that's coming over. Now, obviously, well, Rogers. Uh, will be the quarterback, and he's one of the better ones. Uh, it, isn't that an interesting situation uh, as far as Arnett trying to put uh, his thumbprints on uh, on this team? Are you a little surprised, Trav, as far as uh, a change in philosophy offensively this quickly? Here's one I'll give you, and it'll resonate maybe with the old heads out there. But how about Alabama going from Bill Curry and Homer Smith in 1989 with uh, Gary Hollinsworth as the quarterback. He had that big season in 89. Mm -hmm. In comes Gene Stallings, who says, no, we're going to pound the run game, play, play action, and just a radical change at the time. And going from a Homer Smith approach Um, to what Gene Stallings preferred, which was more of a complimentary game for the defensive side of the game and also the kicking game, trying to bring in all three phases more so than maybe Bill Curry was able to. That's the sense I get with Zach Arnett. Uh, Maybe there will still be elements of the air raid, but Zach Arnett's a defensive guy, man, just Mm -hmm. like Beebs was. Oh, yeah. So when he thinks about, you know, how it, it, it benefits the other areas of the football team, uh, you, you get the sense that maybe that's the direction Arnett's going with that that area of MSU. Well, and I think what he's thinking about is uh, with that defense, 
that we can run the ball, we can control the clock and yep. keep that and keep that defense off the field a little bit more. And, and Trev, my last couple things to mention uh, would be uh, <laughs> this this Ole Miss quarterback room with with Lane, with, with Lane not being not being hesitant at all. Uh, what Trev? What is Jackson Dart thinking now? Spencer Sanders in. Walker Howard in. Obviously, Lane loves that competition, doesn't he? And he'll get it this spring. He will. And, um, you know, I, I think Lane has some experience juggling, if you know what I mean. Yes. So that's essentially what he's going to have to try to do with his yeah. quarterbacks. I think they get through the spring, obviously. Um, they kind of did it last year with Luke Altmyer, right? Mm-hmm. And Jackson yeah. Dart. Um, and, and then – Maybe they get into the summer, but it's hard to imagine both of the older guys hanging around. Right. Um, right. Yes. And it becomes pretty even somewhat clear in the spring that it's going to be one guy over the other. I think Walker Howard, you view more as a young guy that, you know, is going to hang around for a year or two at least, no matter what happens with the rotation this spring and this offseason. But those two older guys – Absolutely. It's it's difficult to envision a scenario where both those guys are on the roster when the season rolls around in September. Anything else, Brent, before we get out of here? Yeah, Trav, the uh, uh, we didn't have we, we didn't have a whole lot of time to talk about this, but uh, and it's dying down now. But Bobby Petrino going to A&M. With, with Connor Wiegman uh, and everybody kind of poo-poo in that situation, thinking it's going to be a disaster. My my take on this is, Trev, what if it works? Oh yeah. Uh, uh, what what if what if Jimbo is able to lay aside a segment of that ego a little bit? And we know what Petrino can do uh, with with offenses. Uh, I, I mean, if they if they're able to work together. I mean, how good could that situation actually be? Yeah, it sort of makes me think about the scenarios that were being thrown around about, hey, maybe Dan Mullen as offensive coordinator for Nick Saban. It's a couple of A-types, you know, and at least in that scenario, Nick's more of a defensive guy, but Nick certainly still has his strong beliefs when it comes to offense. I think it's similar, like you said, if they can work together, I think Connor Wiegman first and foremost is going to benefit. And then A&M obviously is a football team, Will. And, you know, can can uh, Jimbo yield um, to, to that sort of influence um, like a Bobby Petrino? Because yes. Bobby, when it comes to confidence about what he knows <laughs> yeah. offensively and yes. what he's able to do with quarterbacks, he, he doesn't he doesn't have much of a confidence issue with that. And he shouldn't so. because. His background, his track record is, is pretty damn good there. Oh, oh it is. And, and, and Trev, my, my last question, this is quite important, is uh, we're nearing Valentine's. Uh, will Pop step up his game with Nana for Valentine's, or can we expect more of the same? I think he's, I think he's actually improving, but um, I don't think Nana you know, is holding her breath waiting on <laughs> – you know, diamond earrings or anything. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think, I think she just at this point expects grocery store flowers <laughs> and, uh, maybe, uh, a, a share size Skittles. Yes. Pops, you know, yes. that's, yes. 
that's his idea of Valentine's candy. But uh, Pops, I got to get him to Peterbrook. You know, that's how you do it. No that's, doubt. that's how you do that's it cool. right. All right. Well, Brent, as always, fun catching up. We'll be doing this on a more regular basis, certainly as we get closer to the start of spring practice. That's right, Brent. Spring practice. That's right. Not too far out there. Yeah. Yeah. And we will be there before we uh, uh, turn around. But uh, always good to catch up. And uh, Trev, who who knows what's going to happen in this league by the time we talk again? And a lot of basketballs we talked about earlier to sort of figure out with Tennessee and cool. Alabama, Texas A&M, Buzz, got the Aggies yeah. playing well in conference balls. So Auburn in that mix. So a lot to sort out on the hoops front as well. Well, Brent, we'll do it again soon. As always, appreciate you all joining us here on Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers for the number one league in all of collegiate athletics. The, the Southeastern Conference for Brent Beard, Travis Ryder, thanking you once again. Until next time, so long, everybody.